this morning, I am doing a one single standalone message called Where God Looks. Where God Looks. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. And for those of you who don't read your Bible, that's in the Old Testament. Just look for it. It's okay. For those of you who have your phones, you can find it on your phone. Some of y'all are already mad at me. I just started. I just got here. Uh, 1 Samuel 16. Uh, and for those of you who do read your Bible, you're probably like, hey, 1 Samuel 17 is David and Goliath, isn't it? That is true. We're going to look a little bit at David today. I'm going to be a little selfish this morning because uh, David and Goliath is my favorite story in Scripture. And so when Pastor Troy was like, you can talk about whatever you want this morning. I was like, I'm going to talk about David because why not? So uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16 today. I'm going to do something a little different. Something that I've done a few times on Wednesdays for the youth ministry. Shout out 62. Uh, they're all right here over here. Um, <laughs> I've done this a couple of times, um, and I actually enjoy doing messages like this, but I feel like this is where God um, was leading me to teach and preach this morning. Um, so I'm going to give, I've got three points in my message this morning. I'm going to give you all three of them at the front end. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to start preaching. Is that okay? We're okay. We can do it. Read some word, read some scripture. Uh, so I'm going to give you all three of these points. If you have your notebooks, you can write these down. If you don't have your notebooks, pull your phones out, write these down. First point, what I do flows from who I am. What I do flows from who I am. Who I, am. I noticed I did not say what I do determines who I am. And I'm going to kind of go off of what uh, Hunter was talking about and offering. I'm going to try not to get way too ahead of my, my notes. I'm going to try to go slow and be patient. Uh, but just kind of like what Hunter was saying, just because you give doesn't make you generous. <laughs> just because you pray doesn't mean you're faithful. All right, point number two. I'm going to come back to that later. Uh, Second point, if it's not complete, it's not enough. Now, this one's a little weird. I'm going to have to go through a lot of scripture, a lot of verses to help us understand this. Uh, but God is, God doesn't do anything incomplete. God finishes everything. Even that promise you haven't seen come through in your life yet, it's on the way. The Bible teaches us he's being patient for your sake. You may be slowing it down. But God is in the completion business. It's what he does. He completes things. So if it's not complete, notice I didn't say it's not good. It's just not enough. We'll get there in a little bit. And the last point, God either has all of me or none of me. God either has all of me or none of me. There is no such thing as halfway following Jesus. Um, I, this is my one Sunday of the year I get to preach, so I'm going to be, I'm, I'm coming for your, your, your house this morning, okay? It's not all of me or none of me. So the title of the message is again, Where God Looks, Where Does God Look? He's got all of you, or he's got none of you? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful this morning that you're a good God. God, I pray that as we open up your word, as we look within our own hearts, God, I pray that the spirit of conviction and the spirit of love would overflow in our midst today. God, that you would remind everybody right now that you're not mad at anyone. You're not angry. God, you love us all, and you just want us to come back to you. God, I pray that anything in our spirits, anything in our hearts that is not supposed to be there, God, I pray that today 
January 1st, 2023, is the day that we decide to make a change. God, I pray that we would allow ourselves to give you everything, not only because you're worth it, but because when we give you everything, blessings happen. God, we love you so, so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen, amen. So more than God wants anything, God wants your heart. More than your prayers, more than your worship, more than how many Bible verses you know, more than your tithe, he wants your heart. Because if God can get your heart, the rest of it follows. Notice I didn't say don't tithe. <laughs> Some of y'all don't like being told what to do with your money, but Jesus told you what to do with your money. So I got, I'm a, okay. God wants your heart because if he gets your heart, he gets everything. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guard your heart. Everybody say guard. Guard your heart above all else. Above your prayer time, above your worship time, above your Bible study, above everything, guard your heart. Because if you guard your heart, it determines the course of your life. Everything you do flows from your heart. Heart. Everything that you are comes from your heart. Now, I follow, I follow Jesus. I just don't really like church like that. But if people, people say that. Yeah, I follow Jesus. I just, I, I don't really like the tithe. Tithing, tithing ain't really, no, no, no. If you follow, so you follow your wallet. I can't afford to tithe. You will, okay, let me, let me, I got to stay here because I can um, you are never going to be able to afford to tithe until you start tithing. <laughs> tithing is not easy. Some, and it, it, sometimes it is once you get there. But again, I'm going to go off what Hunter was saying for offerings. Sometimes you got to do it even if you don't feel like it. That's an obedient heart. <laughs> so tithing is not always easy. But tithing is a basic foundational thing that a follower of Jesus does. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not up here saying that if you don't tithe, that you're going to hell. If you don't tithe, Jesus doesn't love you. If you don't tithe, you don't need to be at City Church. We, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is Jesus said we tithe. Your wallet is not yours. Your money is not yours. But I work for it. Who gave you the ability to work? Money, <laughs> this ain't even a money message, but I feel like I got to stay here because some of y'all need to hear this this morning. If you're not tithing, you're missing opportunities. Now again, you still go to heaven without tithing, and God will still bless you in other ways without tithing. But if you're not tithing, he probably doesn't have your heart because where the treasure goes, <clears throat> I did, I got you, I got you. <laughs> Yeah, I follow Jesus. I just cuss sometimes. <laughs> and I, I, the reason why I'm being so, like, all over your business is because freedom comes from knowing the truth. So, so freedom comes from two parts, knowledge and truth. So some of you don't know the truth. You know something, but what you know isn't the truth. So I'm just trying to give you freedom this morning. Now, if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. But God told me to tell you that cussing is a sin. 
So they're just words, and words is what God used to create everything. God spoke it into existence. <laughs> yeah, I follow Jesus. I just, I just vape sometimes. I just, I just, I just, I just smoke. <laughs> and you're addicted. Now I can, I can sit here because I've dealt with addiction. Like you think oh, vaping's not as bad as smoking cigarettes, so you're comparing your sin. And then using that comparison as an excuse to keep sinning. And so you've missed grace. Grace isn't just that God loves you. Grace is also that he had to die for you. He had to die for your sin. That's how serious it is. And you want to compare. I'm not murdering anybody. So you can, you can sin. You can cheat on your wife as long as you're not murdering anybody. I'm, I'm giving you like excuses people use to keep sinning. And so when it comes to smoking... I'm not going to sit here because this is where God put me, okay? So if you don't like it, you can take it up with Jesus. I, I dealt with addiction for three and a half years. I was addicted to pornography for three and a half years, okay? Because the issue isn't smoking. The issue is you're addicted. The Bible said don't be addicted to anything. And so I dealt with addiction for three and a half years. And one of the most common phrases, one of the most common lies that I told myself and that I, the people who were addicts say is I can quit whenever I want to. No, you can't. That's got your heart. You can quit vaping, throw it away out the way of the door. Throw it away before you leave. Throw the cigarettes away before you leave. And I'm not trying to condemn if you. If, if you smoke, if you uh, do drugs, if you're an alcoholic, if you're a homosexual, come on in. City Church is for you. We, we, want, we don't want perfect people. There's no perfect church. You want a perfect church, empty it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you not to come to City Church. I'm not trying to tell you God hates you. I'm trying to reveal truth that some of you may have never heard from the stage. That the issue you have is a problem and it's getting in the way of your heart. God wants your heart. And you may think it's a little thing, but even a little poison messes up the whole recipe. God wants your heart. So Proverbs 23, I'm going to read it one time. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So we have to guard our hearts. Why? Because they'll be attacked. But why, why, why does God speak this through Solomon? Because we're going to be attacked. Now, we'll be attacked by many different things. But I think the most prevalent is we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy who hates us. We call him Satan, we call him the devil, whatever you want to call him. And uh, as we read through scripture, I'm going to read the verse in a little bit. Uh, actually, I'm going to go ahead and read it right now. Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So I love the way that Paul puts this. Says that the enemy shoots fiery arrows. What does that mean? That means he's accurate. The enemy knows where to hit you. He, he knows where you're weak. And this is really, really um, scary. But, and we're going to read through a little bit of Ephesians 6. But, but this passage is talking about the full armor of God. A lot of us want to put on half of the armor of God. So, so if, if, if your money has your heart, where is the enemy going to hit you? Wallet. 
He's going to hit your bank account. If you're an addict, he's going to hit you with what you, and the enemy is not creative. He is manipulative. And he's repetitive. That's why you've been dealing with the same issue since you were 12. He's repetitive. He doesn't create new ways to mess with you. He, re- he repeats it over and over and over again. Studies show the best way for you to believe a lie is for someone to repeat it to you. Over and over again. Where do you think that started? That wasn't created by humans. The enemy repeats over and over and over again. That's why when you get in an argument with your spouse, you bring stuff up that happened with your mother or your father. Because he's bringing it back. He is repetitive. And the enemy, again, he's not creative, but he is accurate. And he knows where to hit you. Let's read through Ephesians 6 a little bit. Verse 11. Put on all. Everybody say all. All. Or put on the complete armor. If it's not complete, it's not enough. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against the people on Goodman Road. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Your whole day was ruined. But that was anger issues built up from when you were eight that you never dealt with. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, now this one hurts us because some of us don't want to fight. Hmm. You will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fire arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which means the word of God. So we need all of it. And so I, I want to really sit on verse 17 because, you know, salvation is phenomenal. And salvation is, you know, the reason, one of the reasons we exist, like to help people come to Jesus. And I'm going to do a salvation prayer at the end of the message. If you haven't received salvation, and today, hopefully, you get to meet Jesus a little bit. Salvation is a great thing, but salvation is not enough. That's why you're saved and depressed. You're saved and addicted. And you're blaming the devil for your disobedience. Salvation is great. You're going to heaven, hallelujah. But salvation isn't just you can get to heaven then, it's so you can experience heaven now. Because, oh, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. The greatest thing about heaven is not the gold streets and the rainbows and the butterflies and the awesome music that's up there, it's God's presence. The worst thing about hell is the absence of God's presence. And if you have received salvation, What do you have living within you? God's presence. That's why when we worship, we pull heaven down. Because we're experiencing heaven here. 
Now, obviously, it doesn't compare. It's, it's still not the same. But you're experiencing a taste of heaven, a touch of heaven, here. Because you have the presence of the Savior with you. So salvation is awesome. And if you've received salvation, I can't wait to worship with you for eternity. But I don't want you to be chained up until you die. I don't want you to die with the same faith you started with. And where does faith start? Right here in our hearts. So I want to talk about this principle of completion. Uh, this point that I said earlier, if it's not complete, it's not enough. God loves when things are complete. And so just like with Ephesians, if you don't have the complete armor of God, it's not enough. Um, if God doesn't have your complete heart, it's not enough. And I want to kind of go back to the creation story. Most of us have heard of the creation story millions, hundreds of times. Uh, and we've heard it talked about, you know, day one, God created light, and it was good. Day two, God created sky, and it was good. Day three, he created, uh, I wrote it down because I knew I was going to forget it when I started. I was literally practicing this to see if I remember it, and uh, I forgot it, of course. Day three, he created land and seas and plants, and it was good. Day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars, and it was good. Day five, he created fish and birds, and it was good. Day six, he created animals, and it was good. And the end of day six, he created humans, and it was very good. And if someone was to ask you, why did God call it very good? Most people would say, because he created humans. He created his prized possession, the cherry on top. And I would know that you don't know completeness. I'm about to mess with all your religion right now. Genesis 1, verse 31. Then God looked over all he had made. And he saw that it was very good. It doesn't say God looked at the humans and called them very good. God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. So why did God call it very good on day six? Because his creation was complete. Now, it would, never been, it would have never been complete without humans. And humans are his prized possession. And humans are the only thing created in his image. And we do take dominion over the earth. I'm not trying to lower the, the severity or how, how amazing the creation story is for us as human beings. But God did not call it very good just because of humans. He, created, he called it very good because the creation was complete. Let me help you again. Because on day two, when God created the sky, he didn't call it good. Sorry, Pastor Brady. No. Genesis 1, verse 6. God said, let there be a space between the waters, separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God called this space, or God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. He called this space sky. And it was good? Nah. Evening passed, morning came, marking the second day. So day two, he didn't call anything good. Why did God not call the sky good? Because the sky wasn't complete. Because the sky didn't have the sun, didn't have the moon, didn't have the stars. God took a whole day, day four, created the sun, moon, stars, and then he called it good. Day two, he didn't call it good. Why? Because it wasn't complete. So what I want you to get from this this morning is that if God doesn't have you completely, it's not enough. He wants all of you. Even the parts you hate. 
That's grace. That he doesn't want just the giftings and the talents and, and the tithe. And I know all these Bible scriptures. And I know all these verses. God, he wants you. The part you're hiding from your spouse. The part you're hiding from your parents. The part you're hiding from your friends. The part that nobody knows about but you. He wants it all. Because when he is able to get all of it, that's when he's able to help you change. When you receive salvation, you are made new. But some of you are still the same. You haven't changed since you received salvation. You got, I got my get out of hell free card. Hallelujah. But you're still not different because God does not have your heart. So 1 Samuel 16 is where we're going to spend most of our time. And I'm going to kind of go uh, a little slowly through 1 Samuel 16 because there's a lot um, of verses here that I'm going to read. Um, 1 Samuel 16 is, of course, about David. Um, and David, whenever he gets anointed. So we're going to start reading it verse by verse. Uh, so let's start in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So I'm going to stop right here because we have a little backstory. So Israel is God's people. Um, and Israel got to the point where they needed a king. And so the king that they chose, the king that God actually chose and anointed for them, uh, was Saul. But at this point, in scripture, and at this point in history, Saul has completely gone rogue, completely disobedient, not following God anymore, not obeying, not doing anything that he's supposed to be doing. And God has given him chance after chance after chance after chance. And the last verse of 1 Samuel 15, the verse before this one, tells us that God was actually sorry he picked Saul. That's how far Saul had run off. And so now Samuel, no, Samuel's a prophet, and Samuel is just in absolute agony, and he's in tears, and he is in grief because the king, or the, now Israel doesn't have a king. The Israelites, the people that he's caring for, the prophet at the time, again, he's speaking for God to the people. They don't have a king. And so now God is telling Samuel, you've mourned long enough. I've rejected him as king. Fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be king. Now, if I'm Samuel, I'm a little frustrated that God didn't just tell me who's the king. He didn't just give me his name. And when you, when you know scripture, Jesse has like eight sons. So now Samuel's just got to go figure it out. And we don't like that, but then your faith isn't strengthened when God just gives you the GPS. Verse 2. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. That's how far Saul is gone, that he will kill the prophet if he hears what's going on. Take a heifer with you, or a cow, the Lord replied, and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 3, invite Jesse, invite him to the sacrifice, and then I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. Fear, uh, actually, I'll just read, I'll, I'll, I'll read this. What's wrong, they asked, do you come in peace? So the elders were scared because they felt like something was wrong. Because a, a prophet doesn't just always just show up. If the prophet is there, then something must have happened. Something must have been terribly wrong or extremely good. But because of the way that their king has been acting, the way Saul has been acting, the elders were scared. What's wrong, do you come in peace. Verse 5, yes, Samuel replied, 
I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Sam will perform the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab. Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's sons and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7, this, this is the verse that is the foundation of this whole entire message. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him because of his heart. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, everybody say heart. So I don't care how well your life looks on the outside. What's on the inside is what matters to God. And as a pastor of the church, I may not be your youth pastor, but as a leader and a pastor of the church, I and Pastor Troy we're worried about this thing right here. Because the same way that your physical heart pumps blood to everything in your body, your spiritual heart affects everything in your life. This is where God looks because this is what's important. Jesse told his son, Abinadab, son number two, step forward and walk in front of Samuel. Samuel said, not the one the Lord has chosen. Jesse's getting frustrated, verse 9. He summoned Shemia. Shemia, I don't know how to say his name. Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's son, Jesse's like putting on a model, like a model show, like a fashion show. Here's son number one. Here's, here's Abinadab. Here's Shemia. Here are the rest of them. In the same way, all, the seven, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, he didn't pick none of these. And then Samuel asked, this is probably the saddest part of this entire story. Are these all the sons you have? Jesse doesn't even call his own son by his name. He defined him by what he was, not about who he was. They're still the youngest, but Jesse already counted him out. His own father already counted him out of being anointed as he. There is no way that the youngest son is worth anything, let alone worth being a king. He's still the youngest, but he's out in the fields. He's just watching the sheep and the goat. He's not doing anything important. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. Now, David's brothers are angry. The David brothers are hungry, and they're starving. And now, the same way that Jesse looks down on David, his brothers probably do too. And now they got to wait for this youngest son to eat. Verse 12. Some of y'all getting PTSD from people showing up late on Christmas Day, and y'all don't get to eat when you wanted to. Uh, Jesse sent for him. David was dark and handsome. He had beautiful eyes. The Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. Now, this is crazy because David was just doing what he does every day. And <laughs> this is so good. He didn't have to strive for the anointing. Somebody sent for him. Some of you are trying to strive 
for the blessing God has promised you. And God is saying, I need you to wait where you're at. Because if you get it on your power, you're not going to glorify me for it. David is out doing, he's being a shepherd, cleaning up nastiness in the fields, doing what he does every day. And that is the place where he got anointed, where he got called for. Verse 13, so as David stood there, probably with his shoulders and his chest high, among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now, verses 14 through 21 um, is probably the most important part of the David and Goliath story. Because a lot of us would say that the greatest part and the most um, most spirit-filled part of David and Goliath's story is when David killed Goliath. But it was David's part before he met Goliath that was more important. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Now this, people, this, this trips people up a lot. I don't have enough time to really just sit here on this verse. Uh, but the spirit of the Lord, God was just trying to get Saul to repent. This is, where, this is where God was at. He was taking drastic measures to get Saul to turn back to him because Saul was being so disobedient. Verse 15, some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem, he's a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, man of war, and he has good judgment. So he's a good person. He's got a good heart. He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Some of y'all can't wait to see David in heaven. How fine was he really? How fine was he really? Barry just has to stop. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse, and he said, send me your son, David. So the king said his name, even though his father didn't. Send me your son, David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much. So, oh, this is so good. So some of us, and David become his armor bearer. Some of us at this point, if we're in David's position, when we get anointed, when, when the prophet tells us that we're going to be the next king of Israel, the first place we want to go is the palace. I'm going to be the next king? Take me to the castle. Where did David go? Back to the sheep. And he served the king ahead of him. That was ahead of him. And so David was anointed, and he's serving the person that God has rejected. God has taken his anointing off of Saul, put it on David, but because David has such a good heart, an obedient heart, a serving heart, David didn't walk up to Saul and be like, I'm not serving you. Maybe I'll say that every week. I'm not serving you. You know what you've done? You know how disobedient you've been? God is like, I'm the next king. I'm King David. David, and so 
the most important part of the David and Goliath story, and I'm glad to, he's going to slay the giants, and I'm going to slay the depression, I'm going to slay the anxiety, that's fine, but it starts with your heart. It starts here. So I've got this, some of y'all probably asked me with this, I've got this little illustration that I'm going to kind of help, help us to understand the concept of our hearts. I've actually done this a couple of times for the youth, so all of my, my 62 people are probably going to understand this and going to know where I'm going with this. But this right here, this little vase, represents your life. Okay? It represents your life. And these little ping pong balls right here, courtesy of the 62 ping pong table, that doesn't have a net on it. I'm going to get it replaced. Don't worry, guys. But these little orange ping pong balls represent issues and sin that can sometimes fill up our life. And so this may be the trauma you experienced as a child, the abuse you went through, somebody making you feel like a disappointment, whether it was a mother, a father, whoever it might have been. This may be the bad decisions you made when you were in uh, high school. This might have been the relationship you shouldn't have been in. This might be the, the thing you did with that person you shouldn't have done, the person you're talking to now. This may have been that addiction you're struggling with. This may be the... Um, the, the language that you use and you can't get over it and you can't stop using it, the things that are all over our lives, this may be the person you haven't forgiven, person you haven't forgiven, person you haven't forgiven, and all those things that fill up our life. And some of us, our life is full of issues and sin and problems that are negatively affecting our hearts. But how great a God we have. God, whenever we allow him to pour into us and we allow the living water to pour into our life and pour into our heart, when we worship, when we pray, we're reading our scripture, we're going to church, and we do all these things that help us experience the presence of God, then some of these issues and some of these things begin to come on out. And of course, some of them are stuck at the bottom, and that should not have happened. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to act like this didn't happen. Cut this out of the live stream. <laughs> there we go. Now, when God pours into us, and <laughs> gets the overflow of us, then some of these things begin to pour on out. Now, all those things that were deeply rooted and didn't want to come on out, whenever they begin to pop back up in our life, now they're just surface issues. So now whenever those surface things come up, now that person that you couldn't forgive a long time ago, but you were spending time with God and he taught you how to forgive and you walked through the process, then they mess you up again, or you see their name again, or they walk into the room again, now they don't affect you as much. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. All of us as human beings, whether you're a mother, father, employee, boss, you have people and things in your life that you pour into. And so the goal is that you're pouring God's love from you into them. That God's love is overflowing out of you into them. But the problem comes 
when we begin to pour into other people, I'm pouring into my spouse, I'm pouring into my kid, I'm pouring into my ministry, I'm pouring into my giftings, and then we forget to let God pour back into us. And so now, all those issues are going back in, and they're no longer surface issues. And they begin to build up, build up. And now, well, I'm not as, I'm not as bad as I used to be. But from a distance, the only thing people can see are these orange ping pong balls. So, I'm, no, I love Jesus, but they see your language. They see the way. You're mean. I can't believe all these people at Walmart aren't working. There's no cashiers. You're the reason they quit. <laughs> You're mean. Nobody wants to bag your groceries. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk to you. Your spouse don't want to sleep with you no more. And so what do we do? We let God pour and pour and pour into our hearts, into our lives to allow these things to come on out. Now, here's something that I never, I, when I've done this illustration before, I never really noticed this. But the only way for these ping pong balls to get out of this vase is if the water touches it. Some of y'all got it. I had to say it. You got it. So, so whatever you're not allowing God to touch, it's just going to sit there. It's, it's just going, every single one of these has water on them. You can come check out the service. All of them have water on them because the living water was overflowing. And so we keep pouring and pouring, pouring and pouring and pouring. And this is why rest and alone time with God is good. Because when you get to the place where I feel like I can't pour, maybe I should quit, and maybe I should stop, and maybe I'm getting burned out. No, 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 no. God called you there. God brought you there. And so when you just take time to rest, this ain't even a rest message, but some of y'all don't know how to rest. Let God pour you back up, or fill you back up. And now, oh, man, I ran out of water. Wait, 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 wait. God's love don't run out. I'm too gone for God to love me. I wish I could tell you my story. Nobody is too far from God's love. And you using your pain and your past as an excuse to miss out on your purpose? It's going to keep you stuck where you're at. And so these things keep popping back up. God's love don't stop. Overflows and overflows and overflows. And now all these surface issues... Right here. If you have received salvation, then this is possible for you today. If you have not received salvation, you can't allow God to overflow a heart you have not surrendered to him. And so if you have received salvation, or if you have not received salvation, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a second to get, make that decision. I'm looking around the room, and most people in here have received, so most of you are Christians. Most of you have received that salvation. And so if that's you in the room, I encourage you while I'm praying to take a moment with God and find out what's there that shouldn't be there. What's that thing that you keep? Oh, it's not a big deal. It's, it's not a big deal. It's, 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 not, it's not in the way. 
allow God to speak to you and allow the, the conviction, the love of conviction. Conviction is not a bad thing. We don't like it because it makes us uncomfortable. But I encourage you to pray through that as I help lead people through salvation. But if you have not received salvation, I want you to know that today can be the day. January 1st, New Year's Day. And salvation seems like a scary word, but it's actually the greatest decision you can ever make in your life. Because not only are you made new, meaning you don't have to live the way you're living right now, but you also get to be in heaven for eternity. So if everybody would go ahead and bow your hand and close your eyes.